0: I am in New York today. It is a beautiful, sunny spring day, and I have the pleasure of talking to an incredible woman who I got to speak with last week. I'm so excited to have her here today. If you have ever felt a little bit lost or a little bit disconnected from your purpose or like you're just going through the motions of life, this episode is for you. I'm pretty sure what I just described was the theme of my early 20s. (laughs) Not only trying to find my purpose, but trying to figure out Everything from friends to who I was dating, where I was going to live, how to manage finances. I mean, honestly, those early 20s when you're out of school, it is a whirlwind just trying to find your footing and purpose in life. Today's guest also took quite the journey to find her footing and to connect to her purpose. Andreina Marrero was in an abusive relationship and working in pharmaceuticals before she left and found her strength in an unlikely place stripping. She took the seed of self-love planted there and she ran with it. She's here today to share how she moved from a really tough spot to a place of self-love, strength, and passion for life. She also might disrupt the way you think about a few things, which I personally believe is always a good thing. Dre, thank you so much for being here today. I'm so excited to talk to you.
1: Thank you for having me. I'm super, super excited to share and thank you for having me. Can you take all of us back to that time
0: in your life when you were working your nine to five and life was just okay?
1: I could definitely take you there. (laughs) So I worked in the pharmaceutical industry for about 10 years. um, So that was basically my day to day. Very familiar with the big pharma and all of its doings. It was work for me. It was just a job. It paid the bills and I slowly found myself getting lost in the world of the rat race, if you will, right? Chasing, chasing the check, pretty much living paycheck to paycheck. It was a pretty dark moment for me, considering that I really felt like I had more to give to the world. I didn't really know what that meant at the time, but I've always felt like there was something more that I could give. But again, being raised how I was raised, I felt like, you know what the goal was get the nine to five, make sure you get that money. Chase after that money, do it well, and you know, one day Prince Charming will come along and save you. So, that (laughs) was the space I was in for a very long time, and it is definitely
0: something that our society and culture, especially in America, I feel like fosters in all of us at such a young age this idea that you graduate from school, you hopefully get a degree. I didn't, but that's sort of the path that most people go and then you get a job. And I feel like more and more people are getting that job. And then they're like, oh my goodness, I am not actually happy here. You said that that was a really dark period of your life. What what else was going on at that stage of your life?
1: So combination of, again, and to just clarify, nine to five meaning nothing wrong with a nine to five, but more so being in a job that I just didn't feel was fulfilling my purpose, right? So that for me is, quote unquote, the nine to five. I had the nine to five job, was very, very unhappy in it. I was also in a very long relationship, seven years. So most of my twenties, and it was pretty intense, predominantly because I felt like I was a shell of myself. Again, I was in a job I didn't like. I was dressing in a way that I didn't prefer. I come from a very conservative background. So a lot of me was just not me, to be honest with you, a shell of myself. In this seven-year relationship that started off pretty rough from the beginning, I saw signs of infidelity, miscommunication, just a lot of verbal abuse, and I stayed. I stayed. I thought it was the best option for me at the time. I felt like, you know what? This is tough love. This is what I need. This is what I deserve. And here I'll stay. I lived that way for a good almost 10 years, to be honest with you, all in my 20s. And what was
0: it that started to shift? I mean, you said that there was a 10-year period of time where this is what your reality looked like. Did you just wake up one morning and you were like, it's, it's time to leave this. The new Dre is here. What happened? What spurred
1: the change in your life? I really wish it was that easy, but I do not regret how it happened. So, you know, as we all know, sometimes things over time somewhat start to change. And for me, the biggest change that I noticed was my own inner self. I became very, very negative. I started to then have bad images in my mind, images of, you know what, I'd be better off if I weren't here. And I I remember specifically actually thinking about my funeral, how amazing it would be for for me to have a funeral because then everybody would notice and everybody would care. And at the time I thought, you know, well, these thoughts are just... They're normal, right? I'm, I'm in a bad situation and I'm feeling pretty negative and that's okay. It'll pass. Fast forward a good three to four years later, it did not pass. Things got a little bit worse for me. Just started losing sleep. Very, very rarely was I eating. So I lost a lot of weight. Lo and behold, I fell into such a great state of, you know, what most folks know the word as depression. I like to use darkness myself. I know it as my darkest time. Yeah, I, I pretty much isolated myself from the world. Again, my health took the turn for, for the worse. Most people wouldn't notice. For the most part, I was fairly slim. So I never really had anyone to ask me, hey, are you okay? I, I masked it very well. I put up a smile every day and I went about my day.
0: Did you have family or anyone at work who sort of could tell that things weren't going as well for you? Or did you literally leave the house and put a smile on? Because there's more and more conversation about this idea of what we imagine depression to look like and then the reality of how people show up in the day-to-day and the fact that so often it is this invisible disease that we don't recognize is happening even to the people who are closest to us.
1: Well, I'll tell you this, I can answer that with this one statement that it was so invisible that just by doing this podcast, I will be opening up to a lot of my family members that did not know I was going through this. Really? Yes. Yes. (laughs) So even still, you haven't had that conversation with family members about what you went through? No, unfortunately, depression and anxiety and all these mental health challenges that we, for the most part, all kind of go through there's a huge stigma surrounding it specifically in my culture, my family from Dominican Republic. And a lot of times it's seen to be, you know, well, you're just sad, you know, you're just having a bad day. You're having a bad week. That's life. Suck it up, move on. And I was somewhat raised in that environment again, where I wasn't really understanding the fact that there was actually something going on with me that I wasn't just sad and it wasn't just a bad day. Feelings of suicide to the point where I actually attempted suicide in 2014. It was kind of like just my last moment. I said, you know what, this is not sadness. There's no way that I can think of just, I wish I can go to bed and never wake up. These are just not good thoughts. And it took me to a very, very sad place where I attempted to uh, take my own life, unfortunately. And, you know, I say unfortunately because it happened. But on the other side, I say, fortunately because i'm i'm hoping that i can share my story and really let others know that there is a way out and you are in control.
0: Wow. That is yeah. a very very powerful message. I'm so oh, it makes me so sad that people have to go through this alone and i hope for anybody who's listening who's ever been in that spot that you understand that these types of thoughts aren't normal but they can be help. you can get help. It doesn't have to be this hard, but the reality is that it is this hard. for so many people these days and we're seeing the rates of youth suicide in particular climb and climb and climb, can you tell me a little bit more about that experience? So you had these thoughts in your mind and was it a conscious decision? like I just I just am done with living. this world is too painful or do you feel like you're not able to think logically in that space? What is going on?
1: You know, in retrospect, when I think about it, I could honestly say that I was a shell of myself. And whenever I do tell this story or it does come up, I think back to that time and it almost feels like an outer body experience. That's the best way I can describe it. Almost like I'm telling a story about the other me, right? About this old me that existed. Like if I would compare it to, If we can remember when we were 10, right? We are the same person that when we were 10 years old, but we're not at the same time, right? We don't think the same. We have different goals. We have different ways of speaking. So it's similar to that. When I look back, it's like, I know that was Andreina, that was me. But at the same time, it felt like I wasn't in control. And that's the best way I can describe it today.
0: Country anytime soon, start using Babbel a few weeks before you go to learn basics like how to order food, ask for directions, speak to merchants without having to consult language apps while you're away. So fun. Here's a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 55% off your Babel subscription, but only for our listeners at babble.com slash raw beauty talks. Get 55% off at babel.com slash raw beauty talks. That's spelled B A B B E L Do you have anything or any advice for somebody who's listening or for a family member who might be going through something like this or might be experiencing something like this?
1: Absolutely. I have so much. (laughs) The most important thing I could say out of the bunch would probably be at least making sure that you're communicating with someone. I think the most difficult thing for me at the time was thinking, well, I can't share this with anybody. It was just so embarrassing. It felt like, you know, if I tell someone I'm going to be crazy, I'm going to be labeled crazy or, you know, you should get over it or just the vast amount of kind of responses that I actually did get later on when folks would find out. And in that moment, it felt like, you know, no one understands and I'm the only one going through this. And to my surprise, when I came out with my story a few years later, there were so many people I would say. Off the top of my head, maybe a good like 75 to 80% of the people I would speak to and share my story with would end up telling me, oh my God, thank you for telling me, you know, I've had these same thoughts or I have a friend that's had the same thoughts or my cousin or my mother or my friend committed suicide last year or a few years ago. So it's just so interesting how we don't speak about specific topics. We think they're so cliche, yet they're so common. And just by the sheer nature of feeling shameful, right, which is that low vibrating feeling of I'm alone and someone will judge me, it could almost take you into, into such a hole like it did for me, where I said, you know what, nobody understands. And it leaves you in that lonely place. And unfortunately, when you feel like you're alone, you tell yourself, you know what, I'd rather not be here. I mean, humans were people of connection, right? So that was, that was it for me, yeah. Wow. Thank you for
0: sharing that.
1: I loved when we talked
0: on the phone. You spoke a little bit about this concept of a lower self and a higher self. How did you move from this place where you're on the bathroom floor and you're really ready for your life to be over? How did you recover from that space? Obviously, there's been some recovery,
1: which is why you're here right now. Absolutely. I'd say my recovery began by. True introspection. It started first with going to therapy. Initially, when I had attempted to to take my life, I was admitted to the hospital for a week. So even in this in this moment, I was almost forced to be alone. Obviously, I was under watch, under suicide watch. So interestingly enough, being alone for that week really put me in a place to almost rethink my life and ask myself, how the hell did I get here? (laughs) Like, how did I get here? I don't understand. Where did I go left? What choices did I make that resulted in me ending up here? So it was almost like being alone forced me in a spot to take responsibility for myself. So I think my first road to recovery was saying, you know what? It's not my fault where I am, but it is my responsibility because my life is my responsibility. I ended up going to therapy, disconnecting myself. I ended my seven-year relationship. I quit my job, found a new job, and I ended up finally moving out. I've been living with my parents for a very long time. And at that moment, I said, you know what? I'm going to find myself another gig. I'm going to find myself money in any way I can that's legal (laughs) and that I can fall asleep at night and be okay with. And I decided to become an exotic dancer. Okay. Whoa. So much to unpack right there. First of all, I just want to say, I love
0: that you were in this rock bottom place and still there was a voice of self-compassion that said, it's not my fault that I'm here, but I get to choose what my future looks like. I think so often when we're in those tricky spots, it's really easy to beat ourselves up and to, you know, you did this or you did that. But at the end of the day, we know and science shows that speaking to ourselves from a compassionate place really does. Much more for us than that critical voice ever would. So I love that that's sort of where you started from. Now, you had this job that you had been doing for 10 years, and that your family and some belief system that you had as well believed was safe and good and right. How did you get up the
1: courage to quit and to sort of step into your power? So from there, I said, you know what? The pharmacy industry was nice. But because the goal was to move out, kind of start my life anew, right? I'm now single. I'm, I'm trying to move out of my house. I'm trying to just gain independence and really metaphorically and physically kind of pick myself up, right? From the floor in the bathroom and lift my spirits. And I said, hmm, what's the best way I can make some money, do it fast and start over? And I thought of myself, right? I said, instead of focusing on the negative, right, which was step two. So I'm compassionate for myself. Now, step two, what am I good at? Let's go back to what I'm good at, right? I've bashed myself enough. Enough is enough. And I said, well, let's see. One, I can dance. So I've been dancing since I could remember. So I said, okay, well, I can dance. That's great. And I told myself, you know, I'm not the fittest, but... I can you know, put on a nice outfit and, and dance, and I think that could work. And I had remembered that I had taken some pole classes a while back. That idea came to my mind. I thought about the dancing, and I said, you know what? Let me let me just look up some go-go dancing gigs. That's how it started. <laughs> so I, I went onto the old Craigslist. I looked up some go-go dancers and go-go dancing clubs. And funny enough, the first thing that came up was strip Club. Don't ask me why go-go dancing leads you to strip club, but that's what happens. (laughs) The wonders of the internet. (laughs) Yes, the wonders of the internet where you go down the rabbit hole. And came across an article basically talking about stripping, and they were essentially looking for some dancers. It included a private driver. So it seemed pretty safe. Again, I've, I've never been in the industry, so I wasn't really familiar with the ins and outs. But to be honest with you, I've, for the most part, started to trust my gut at that point so i said you know what i'm here i need to take a leap of faith i have to take the next step let's do it so i sent out an email i got a response very very quickly meet me here in the middle of brooklyn i didn't even know where i was going i took the train there took me about a good hour and a half i get there strange man in the car so here's this young woman i know i'm like just totally terrified but I, 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 at that point, I'm like, you know what? I mean, what do I have to lose, right? I, I came from nothing. So let's just work our way up. And long story short, yeah, I just, I tried out, put on my outfit, got to the club, super, super nervous. I'm like, what am I doing here? Like, how did I, I'm thinking about my college degree. I'm thinking about my mom, how I was raised, everything you could think of to tell me to not do it. But there was a small voice inside that said, you know what? you have a bigger purpose. This is not your last stop. Take the chance and stick to your plan, which is to move out. And that's what I did. I danced for about a year up in the Bronx and I saved up my cash and moved into Harlem. And that was the really the start of my new life. Wow. I
0: just finished listening to a podcast called Sold in America by Noor Tagori, who is going to be on our show as well. And it's all about the U.S. sex trade. And it's so interesting, the number of different viewpoints on the sex trade, on things like stripping. And I've even came into this interview with certain perceptions about, about stripping and and anything to do with that industry, basically. There's so many people that talk about how it objectifies women and that it's this and that, and that women who are doing it don't really want to be doing it. When you talk about it, it sounds like it was like a good experience for you. What was the reality for you?
1: Well, the reality for me at the time, to be honest, it was great. (laughs) I treated it and I owe this a lot to my career in pharmacy, funny enough. I've always considered myself a professional. And for me, the exotic dancer tripping industry was just a job. And it really isn't just a job. And and being in the industry, there's so many women in that industry that go in there, they put on their uniform, they put on their character, right? It's, it's similar to acting. And you provide a fantasy. You provide this mental image to the customers that are there, just like you would in personal training, just like you would when you go to work and put on a suit. It's very, very similar where you're putting on this other personality for a specific purpose to gain gain some sort of financial reward, if you will, right? And, and in capacity. So for me, I really treated it just as that. I had a goal to save X amount of dollars. I knew I was good at dancing. I learned some pole tricks. And I would go into work, 9 p.m., pay my house fee, pay for my makeup artist, pay for my outfits, dance till 4 a.m., Get home at about five, five thirty. Take a quick nap till nine a.m. and start my my day job, which I still had part time, and then do it all over again every day, every single day.
0: <laughs> wow, the hustle is real. Did you ever have to do like,
1: sexual acts while you were in this job? Thankfully, no. Now they, I mean, they do exist to be honest with you. So it was always offered. But because, again, wasn't part of my goal, and, and I have never have any judgment towards anyone that needs to do what they have to do. But for me, it was strictly dancing, private dances, which were watched by uh, security. So we had security, which was really, really great, and that's the reason why I chose the specific club I was at, because of the safety. How do you feel like that chapter in your life impacted
0: your own self-love or your own confidence?
1: Well, funny enough, that chapter really allowed me to understand my self worth. And I'll tell you why, as odd as that sounds to some people that I've told that too, being in this strip club, the the level of confidence that you need to put on this outfit, (laughs) to show off your body, to dance in a specific manner, and to be confident enough to speak to complete strangers. I never really had that prior to that experience. So, for me being in the club, it almost gave me a sense of not only like authority on myself, right? That I was in charge of my body, but that I was also beautiful. And again, not just because these men were necessarily ogling at me. Yes, that was part of it. But the, the major part of it that I walked away with was the fact that I was courageous enough coming from where I came from to stand here, not know what I was doing, embrace it, and get over a specific fear I had of being around strangers, of performing in this specific way to better myself. So it was really like I was putting myself in front of everything else. And that felt empowering.
0: That is empowering. That gives me goosebumps. That is you stepping in and filling up the space around you. That is you stepping up and taking care of yourself. And it really has dismantled this belief that I have. Now, I think there's some people out there who are stripping and maybe that's not the same experience they're having. But the reality is we just don't know until we talk to people and until we understand their story. So, okay, you walked away from this job after a year. And now today you are a personal trainer at a gym called dog pound that trains like all of the models and businessmen and women in New York. So how did you, I mean, obviously after you've been stripping for a year, your body probably was super fit, but you didn't have a personal training background, correct?
1: I did not have a personal training background back when I was dancing. While I was dancing, I was able to attend the gym and I bumped into an amazing trainer. Her name is Sirico. I will never forget her. And she saw me at the gym, said, hey, listen, I think you have a great body. Have you ever thought about being in the fitness industry? At the time, really wasn't. I was just, again, trying to make my money and do my thing. But it definitely did interest me because I was already doing something physical. And I do remember a time being young and uh, being an athlete, always been an athlete, did some track and field in my time, some volleyball. So funny enough, I really feel like fitness was always there to help me. I just forgot about it and my lower self took over my life. So it was so interesting to kind of come full circle and meet this trainer, have her stop me, tell me, hey, listen, I think you would be a great bikini competitor. Come join us at this meeting. You'd be awesome. And lo and behold, I ended up entering a national bikini competition. And that started my fitness career. Okay. So,
0: bikini competitions again, like another fascinating, fascinating industry. And I think one that has really polarizing views and opinions about it. And I'm curious to know when you're competing in those bikini competitions, how does that impact your body image? How does that impact your? Sense of
1: self. It was definitely empowering coming from where I was coming from, right? Uh, as far as feeling negative about my body. Going into the competition at first, again, there's that fear, but I was such in a leap mode, right? Here I am, leaping out of a job, leaping into stripping. I said, you know what? Let me just continue that streak. And I leaped into my competition, and it was very, very empowering as far as getting myself into the most fittest I've ever been. In the span of a good nine, 10 weeks for a competition. And it was, it was amazing. It was such an amazing experience. Now I did have my ups and downs. I won't, won't lie about that. I think some of the darkness that I had previous experience did creep in while I was competing. And I think I got into a small space of maybe just a comparison game, right? I had been stripping and entering this competition and kind of meeting specific circles it almost felt like I got into the space of, well, I'm not good enough again.
0: What were the tools that you used to help you bounce back when you started to recognize some of those things creeping in again?
1: I would say the, the main tool at the time for me was journaling. Ever since I could remember, I've been the kid with the book. What would you journal about? I journal about the experience of training, how I felt during the process. There were some days that were better than others. And then I noticed a lot of the mood swings. Like I'd go back and read back my journals and kind of just see the process of how I had so many ups and downs and what was leading me to my ups and downs. And I realized that a lot of what I wrote about was mainly surrounding other people's ideas and what other people thought of me and what this person thinks and, you know, this person on Instagram, and maybe I should look like them. So I just started to notice a pattern in how I was writing. So I think writing for me was beneficial because it allowed me to reflect back to a time where I didn't necessarily feel as good versus writing, you know, a month later where I was feeling great. And just realizing the differences in my personality, I was, it was almost like, again, that outer body experience, like one day I'm happy and the next month I'm just, I hate my life. So the journaling brought back that sense of like, okay, it's happening again. You see it happening, but now you're in control because you're aware.
0: Powerful, powerful tool. And uh, having that ability to get your thoughts out and onto paper so that you can actually see those patterns, so that you can actually see those thoughts that are swirling around in your mind. It's a, a tool that provides you with insight that you just can't get from anywhere else. So you did the bikini competitions, and then how did you end up where you are right now as this motivational speaker and a personal trainer who is working with the top of the top?
1: Well, the bikini competition was really the beginning of my new life, if you will, my higher self. I placed third in my first competition, uh, which was amazing considering I had such little time. And again, a few months prior, I was on a bathroom floor ready to end it all. But it was just an amazing comeback. I placed third, and it was the feedback from the people when I placed. Yes, placing third was great, but having that attention from all these folks telling me, hey, you know, you inspired me and you look amazing. But then I think what stamped it, and I understood what my purpose was, was really the fact that a lot of these folks shared the same sentiments that I had In terms of depression, I remember there being specific people coming up to me after shows and telling me, you know, after I had a baby, I had postpartum. I was so depressed, you know. I ended up taking pills. I tried to take my life. I just started to hear so many stories from strangers, just pouring themselves out to me. And here I am, you know, kind of standing there, you know, six pack. Like, okay, this is great. But there's more to than just looking this way. Like, I at first I thought. Well, it's great. I have a six pack and I look, you know, yes, I'm muscular, etc. But you know what? I don't think that's why I'm doing this. I think there's a higher purpose. And then that moment I realized I'm really here to shine my light on those that feel like they're hopeless and like they're in the dark and reminding them that no matter how dark you feel you are, the light switch within you is possible to turn back on. And I decided to become a personal trainer by virtue of my competing. I got certified. I got certified in motivational speaking. It all kind of happened back to back. I just committed to everything. I said, you know what? This is my calling from the higher source. I'm going to do it. And I went full-fledged. There goes the universe answering my call. (laughs) I got a call from one of the best gyms in New York City. And that's Dog Pound. Here I am, personal trainer at Dog Pound, six months in. God, I love this story. I could listen to it over and over and over again,
0: honestly. And your purpose, you just, you wouldn't be able to live out that purpose if you hadn't felt those dark moments. And so often when I talk about finding your purpose, we can find our purpose in joy, but we can always find it as well in those difficult, tough spots and those moments that we have to really work hard to get out of. So I think you are... The most amazing testament to that (laughs) concept. So you've talked about in regards to sort of bouncing back or moving forward, you've talked about this idea of speaking to yourself with self-compassion, focusing on the things that you're truly good at. Are there any other tools that you find really help you to stay connected to that higher
1: self? Absolutely. Even currently today, I recently started practicing yoga. Um, specifically kund- kundalini yoga, which has drastically changed my life. Just the connection to my body, the connection to my breath, and really slowing down my mind, I would say, in between yoga and meditation, those are the top two tools I'm currently using and that I discovered a short while back. And I think primarily because I live such a fast lifestyle. Again, I'm classic New Yorker. I've lived here my entire life. So it's almost like impossible to try to slow down in such a fast city. But you know what? In learning this experience, well, in being in this experience, rather, I learned that I am really in charge of myself. And that includes my speed. And yes, we can say we live in a city and make all the excuses in the world. But finding that silent time for yourself to really go within and listen to not only your own individual needs, but how you can take those needs and take those desires that you have internally and connect and share them with others. Because again, we're humans, we're here to connect. So the yoga and the meditation combined again with the journaling, those are my top three go-tos in times of stress, in times of any sort of hurdles that comes my way. I just go within, I quiet my mind and I remind myself that you know there's beauty in the struggle and never to fear the struggle. There's something in it to learn always.
0: Beautiful. And on that note, I would love to jump to some questions from our audience. Ooh,
1: I love questions from the audience.
0: (laughs) Yes. Okay. So the first question is from Jess and she says, As a personal trainer, I've struggled with body image and a pressure to look a certain way as a professional in this industry. Have you ever felt that and how do you cope with this?
1: Oh, goodness. Absolutely. That is the question I love to answer. (laughs) I've gotten this one before. To be very honest with you, it's almost impossible for you to be in an industry like fitness, which is primarily based off of the visual, right, for most people. If you have vision, that's the first thing you see. So it's it's very common to compare yourself, right, to look at the next woman or man next to you and say, you know what, man, his shoulders or her shoulders are great. I wish I had shoulders like that. Or I don't have a six pack or, you know, I'm not skinny or I wish I gained more weight. I'm too, you know, too skinny or whatever it is that you're dealing with. So that was constant for me. And I would say one of the most important things I learned was social media could be your friend, but at the same time, it could be your worst enemy. (laughs) And again, I'm going to take it back to what I'm going to keep repeating here. You have to take ownership for your own life. And you have to make sure that you are balanced in everything you do. Now, that's not to say that you can't have people that motivate you, right? I have tons of fitness influencers that I look up to. But I look up to them less about the the visual and more about what they stand for. So I invite everyone to consider the person that they do admire. Forget about what they look like. Really think about what their purpose is and how that connects to you and how you can kind of use them as a teacher for your own purpose. Because we're all here to learn, but we're all here to teach at the same time. So again, I did deal with the body image, but I remembered that there's only one me. There's only one me, and there's no one else like me. And there's only one you. There's only one Erin. There's only one each one of us, right? We're all unique, and our uniqueness is what makes us beautiful. So let's keep that. Preach! I love, I love, love, love.
0: Now, for anybody who was listening to that who isn't a personal trainer, but you struggle with comparison, which is definitely something that so many of us are faced with today, especially with social media. Her advice right there is applicable across the board. Whether you are comparing yourself to someone else in your job, whether you're comparing yourself to somebody else's chapter in their life regarding their family or whether they have babies or whatever it is, please rewind that and listen to it again because it is brilliant.
1: And can I add one more thing, Erin, now that I remember? Yeah. Because I feel like I must add, this is my favorite part, is also remembering we don't know that other persons struggle. I'll take my story, for example. At the time that I was severely depressed, I had so many people tell me, oh my God, you know, you're such in a great relationship. I wish I had a boyfriend like yours. Or you're so slim. I wish I was slim like you. And I got all these amazing comments, but I was literally dying inside. So little did everybody know that the person they wanted to quote unquote be like, or the person that they quote unquote admired was a shell of herself and you would never know. So let's always think about the silent battle that a lot of people are dealing with, that they mask that on the outside to cover that up, their pain and their strife, to create this image of happiness. And we don't know. We just don't know until we get to know someone. So always keep that in the back of your mind, you know? You may be meeting the lower self or just a mask of the person That's actually there. So you may be admiring something that's not even real and that's always a consideration. So it's always best to have inspiration, be inspired by, you know, whoever it is that you feel is best, but also remember you come first and there's only one you. Love it.
0: Our next question is from Tori. She says, how do you stay motivated with workouts at home? Now, I want to just broaden this question. We can touch on workouts at home, but just staying motivated in regards to your health and wellness in general.
1: Staying motivated. Well, Usually to say it's staying inspired. I think I'm not always motivated. So I will be honest with the, with everyone. Uh, there are days I, I just do not want to go. I don't want to go to the gym. I don't want to work out, you know? And it's it's almost <laughs> yes. a shock to some people. They're like, you, really? Yes, me, really? The girl with the six pack, absolutely. I think it's more inspired. And I like to use the word inspired because to me it means being in spirit. That's what that word means. Means for me. And I think it's more so when you find yourself down and out, what gets you back in your spirit, right? Inspired. Um, for me, it's music. I'm such a huge music fan. I could just throw on my playlist and just all the worries of the world just disappear. So it's a combination of me with music and dancing, movement. And I've always found that any sort of movement, you don't have to be a professional, um, shut your door. Blast it, put the music on, blast it, and just move in any way you'd like. Be free. I think the feeling of movement and freedom get the body going, which gets the mind going. And that's where the true inspiration comes from, is that mind-body connection. I encourage everyone to move in whatever way you'd like, in your own, the privacy of your own home, do it. Throw on the music, throw on your favorite, you know, R and B hip hop, rap, you know, classical, whatever it is you love and just move, smile, you know, look in the mirror, remind yourself, you know, I'm still here, I'm still alive, and I have a purpose. And also, on that note, you should head on over
0: to Dre's Instagram page because there are some amazing videos of her dancing on there in the middle of <laughs> the gym or wherever it is that you watch it and you just can't help but dance yourself. Unfortunately, when I stood up to dance, I was like, oh, shoot, I don't look like that at all. But, anyways, it doesn't matter.
1: <laughs> yes, it doesn't matter. It's only one you. Can you tell everyone what your Instagram handle is? Absolutely. So, my Instagram is new mind body. And that's new spelled N-U, which stands for never underestimate, mind, body. Beautiful. Yeah. All right. So we're going to
0: wrap this interview up with our rapid fire questions. These are questions I just want the short and sweet answer for whatever comes to mind first and foremost, okay? Got it. What is your spirit age? 21. Word for 2019.
1: Unstoppable.
0: How long does it take you to get ready in the morning?
1: 30 minutes.
0: What's part of your morning routine?
1: These clothes are already out. Wash my face, take a shower, and gym clothes. And it's usually the same type of gear. So it's very quick. It's a very quick turnaround in the morning. Beauty. Yeah. What is your love language? Oh, my love language Portuguese. I, I went to Brazil one year oh, and I felt like I was like, I in a past life was a Brazilian living on Copacabana Beach. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I love your answer so much because I asked that question in referring to the book, The Five Love Languages, but you just found a new love language to add to the mix, and now there are six love languages, and Portuguese (laughs) Portuguese sounds really good. Have you ever read The the Five Love Languages? Yes. I would say I'm uh, acts of kindness. Acts of kindness, acts of service. Awesome. I love it. You can be acts of service and Portuguese. Oh, perfect.
1: (laughs) You like how I twisted that one, right? I'm like, oh, love languages. I'm thinking Latin, French, Spanish. <laughs> yes. That's the Latina in me, by the way. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. I love it. Who do you Insta-stalk? insta stock? Oh, Fit Girl Mel. She is a, an amazing trainer. I follow her, just strong, dedicated, and she's just, she keeps it very raw, just very honest. Shout out to Fit Girl Mel.
0: We will link to that in the show notes. Do you prefer to watch Netflix, read or listen to a
1: podcast? I'll read absolutely I'm so I'm such a bookworm. What is a habit you'd like to kick? Oh, a habit coffee I've been off of coffee for a week now, and um uh, it's going pretty well, but I do still crave it once in a blue, so i'm I'm trying to keep the streak going. Have you tried
0: any of the adaptogenic? Like Four Sigmatic or I was just stopped by Cat Beauty and they have all of these different mixtures of mushroom-based coffee replacement drinks. And they're supposed to give you energy, but you're not, you are not—you don't get as much as the jitter.
1: No, I've never actually heard of that at all.
0: Okay, I'm going to try it and then I'll, I'll message you to let you know what I think.
1: Okay, okay perfect. <laughs> nice, thank you.
0: How many tattoos do you have? Oof,
1: one, two, three, four, five,
0: six Six. Yes. yes. Three products you'd take to a deserted island. Oh, goodness. Three products. Does a book count? <laughs> yeah, you can take a book.
1: <laughs> okay. I'd take my favorite book, which is The Motivation Manifesto. Let's see. A book, probably a notepad, my journal, because I love to write as well, just to talk about my experience being alone on this island. And oof, a picture of my family. What is your drink of choice? Drink of choice, I would have to say is, I'm a big, big on juicing. So it has to be beets, ginger and red apple, excuse me, green apple. Yum, oh, so
0: yum, 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 yum. Yep. What is your greatest wellness hack? Oh,
1: my greatest wellness hack. Oh, you, you know, I've been struggling with acne over the past year and so much progress, I wash my face with cold, cold, cold water. And I find that, it, yeah, for some reason, it just, it really helps clear the skin. I've never heard of this hack before.
0: Yes. But I'm so excited to try. Yes. <laughs> Thank you for sharing yes, that. Yes, for my Kundalini yoga book. <laughs> oh, fascinating. Okay, what is one word to describe yourself? Fierce fierce, Mm -hmm. effing fierce. You are fierce, Dre. You are so fierce (laughs) and we are so lucky to have had you on the show today. Thank you for showing up and being so real and raw and honest with all of us. What is coming up next for you and where can people go if they want to find out more about you? Well,
1: what's coming up next for me, as you know, you mentioned earlier, I am one of the newest trainers at the Dog Pound. So you can find me at the Dog Pound, one Renwick. In Tribeca, probably training and dancing at the same time on the dance floor. I call it the dance floor, not, not the, not the training floor, performing and training you and kicking your butt. But also this summer, I may be creating some sort of a group surrounding mental health and wellness. And I really want to make some sort of a program. It's still in the works, but it's basically going to be a safe space for people to come and, and share their stories about depression and know that they're not alone, you know, and kind of share my, not only my wellness tips from the physical standpoint, but also most importantly from the mental standpoint. So look for that this summer.
0: Well, I cannot wait to see what you can continue to create because you have done so, so much in your life this far. So thank you again. That is it for this episode, but be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss a single show. If you liked this episode, please take a moment to leave a review, take a screenshot and share it on social tagging at Talks. We'll be regramming your posts every day. As we wrap things up, remember your body is different than any other body out there. So as you listen to these episodes, keep tuning back into yourself to see what really resonates for you. Do you ever feel like you're struggling through motherhood? You're not alone. I'm Erica Jossa, host of the MomWell podcast, therapist and mom of three. Join me each Wednesday as I sit down with guests, including psychologists, pediatricians, psychiatrists, fertility specialists, lactation consultants, and more to unravel the myths of motherhood. With expert advice, practical tips, self-love, and some coping skills to help you along the way, you can become the mother you want to be. Listen to the MomWell podcast at momwell.com listen or on your favorite podcast platform.